Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. You're listening to Sword in Hand Podcast, Bible-believing preaching emanating from Indian Gap Baptist Church deep in the heart of Texas. Definitely not politically correct, but glorifying Jesus Christ in every way. So let's join it in progress. First Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Jesus Christ knows he's about to be crucified. Jesus Christ knows all these things I'm about to read to you and we're about to read together. It's about to take place to him. And on top of all this physical and emotional agony he's about to go through, he gets betrayed. Can you imagine it? Some of us have gone through some tough times in our lives, amen? Some of us are, in, some of us are still in some storms. Can you imagine going through the storm you're in and to have somebody very dear to you just turn around and betray you and turn on you? And that's what happened to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's not much that can happen to you that didn't happen to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's why when you start praying to Him and you start casting all your care on Him and saying, Lord, I'm going through this problem or I'm having this problem, whatever it might be, the Lord Jesus Christ can understand. He's, and, and the Bible tells us that. He's not a high priest that's above us that can't be touched by our infirmities. He is touched by our feelings. He is touched by our pain. When you weep, He weeps. When you cry, he cries. It bothers him that you're going through this. But there's a better day coming. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's, there's a day coming we're going to get to heaven and we're going to have that great reunion with all our loved ones. There's a great time coming. But right now as we're going through that storm and you're calling out and you're sending out that SOS just like Jesus Christ was betrayed and some other things about to happen to him, you've got to settle in and say, all right, you know what? I know the Lord's with me and he's listening to me and I'm going to make, everything's going to be okay. Look at verse 24. Now verse 24, the Lord's Supper. We call it the Lord's Supper. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do, and remember some me. This do, it's a commandment. The Lord's Supper, we call it the Lord's Supper. Some people call it communion. It's a, we call it the Lord's Supper because it was the Lord's last supper. But he said, when you're doing this, he said, this do. So this is a commandment. This is what, as a Baptist, we say it's one of the two ordinances of the church. The first ordinance is to get baptized. The second ordinance is to do the Lord's Supper. He said, this do. It's a commandment. But notice, this commandment's to do, it's for people who are saved. This doesn't have anything to do with salvation. Taking the Lord's Supper or the communion, being at the communion table, this has nothing to do with with salvation. As a matter of fact, you can't do this unless you are saved. When you are saved, then you can remember. Then you can do these things that Jesus Christ is telling us to do. You can't do this to keep saved. You're not doing this to get saved, and you're not doing the Lord's Supper to keep saved. You realize the Roman Catholic Church, they taught that for centuries and centuries and for thousands of years that you had to do this Lord's Supper, and you had to do this to stay saved. And if you didn't do this, you didn't stay saved. They have all these beliefs about the Lord's Supper, and all that's false. I'm here to tell you, it's false. This is a commandment just like a commandment to love one another. It's a commandment just like love your enemies. It's the same type of commandment. 
But you need to be doing it. We can establish that he says to do this. And what's he say? Why does he say to do this? This do in remembrance of me. This is a memorial. The Lord's Supper is a memorial for us to remember Jesus Christ. We're supposed to remember. It says remember me. Remembrance of me. This do in remembrance of me. So we're supposed to keep this. We're doing this to put all our attention on Jesus Christ. And what he did. And the sacrifice he did to give us the great salvation we have. Salvation is free. Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 2. Salvation is free. It's a free gift. It's God's grace. But to Jesus Christ, it cost him everything. Just because your salvation is free doesn't mean it didn't cost a great amount. And it cost the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It cost him everything. It cost him his life. It's going to cost all his blood. It's going to cost all the pain he's about to go through and we're about to read. This remembrance is, what, is, a, is a memorial. So as a church, we voted here to do it quarterly. A lot of Baptist churches do it quarterly. Some of them do it soon, more than that. Some of them do it less than that. But the point is, it's a memorial. And if you had Memorial Day every weekend, it wouldn't mean nothing to you. It'd be too common. It'd be commonplace. The reason why you want to spread it out is because you want to make it. It needs to be special. We have Memorial Day here in America, and what is it to do? Memorial Day is to remind us of the great sacrifice our veterans sacrificed so we could have the freedom we have. And that's exactly what's going on here. We're remembering the sacrifice Jesus Christ sacrificed for us. We can acknowledge that he did a great thing for us. And not to take it for granted. And the freedom we have and the liberty we have in Jesus Christ is because he's willing to die for us. And to shed his blood for us on the cross of Calvary. All right, verse 24. When he had given thanks, he broke it. Notice, he gave thanks. He blessed the food. Guys, I know a lot of y'all are shy about showing your faith in Jesus Christ. And I understand we live in a world that tries to keep you under their thumb. They want you to keep your mouth shut about religion. They want you to keep your mouth shut about Bibles. I had a guy I was talking to, and he was saying, well, I call those guys Bible thumpers. And he was talking about a Pharisee. I said, don't call them a Bible thumper. Call them a Pharisee. That's the biblical word. They're Pharisees. They're hypocrites. There's there's nothing wrong with being a Bible thumper. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with it. Because that's where your authority's at, amen? Amen. Hey, some of y'all grew up in a house that you had a daddy thumper. What I mean by that is you're at home and your dad's up at work. And your mom says, when your dad gets home, dad gets home, I'm going to tell on you. And they were being daddy thumper. What do you mean? They were saying... They're putting their authority on your dad. When he gets home, you're going to get it. That's the same thing we're doing. We're just giving. Our authority is this. I I don't apologize for being a Bible thumper. Now, I apologize because sometimes I can be a Pharisee. Sometimes I can be a hypocrite. I apologize for that. And Lord, forgive me. And please forgive me if I've done that to you. Because I'm only human. I'm only in the flesh. I'm a sinner. I can make mistakes. But I'm never going to apologize for doing this. Never. It's a Pharisee. It's not a Bible thumper. But it's, you're afraid to stand up for the Lord. Maybe you're afraid to do these kind of things. And, uh, but let me tell you something. You can make a great testimony for Jesus Christ being out in public. Because I know a lot of y'all go out to eat. You go out to eat wherever you're going out to eat. And just bow your head for a couple of seconds and bless the food. When you're in restaurants, look around at the way people act. They're not thanking God for that food. They're not thanking God for the money to buy that food. God's the last thing on their mind. But you can make him the first thing on their mind when you just bow your head for just a couple of seconds. Say, Lord, and aren't you thankful? Amen. I mean, you're thankful, amen. You say, Lord, thank you for this food. You don't listen. 
I was reading the story about this great preacher, and he came over to eat at this table. And they said, uh, I can't remember who it was. And they said, uh, Pastor, will you pray over the food? They said, God, thank you for this food, and thank you for giving us this food. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. And anyway, a real short prayer. One of the guys at the table called him out and said, well, I expected you to say a, a longer prayer. And that pastor said this, I'm talking to God all day long. There ain't nothing more for me to say to him. <laughs> you don't have to, what I'm trying to say, and that's a great point, you don't have to have some extravagant prayer. You don't have to stand up in the restaurant and say, Dear God, because you love me so much, and you've given me so because you love me so much, that's a Pharisee. That's a hypocrite. That's Matthew chapter 23. It's everything Jesus Christ said not to be. But there's nothing wrong to acknowledging God over your food for a, a short second or two or ten seconds. And somebody in that restaurant might see you praying over that food. I know we've, had, we've been at restaurants praying over the food and the waitress come up. And she don't know what to do but stand there and listen. Or wait, yeah. She don't, she just, I know she feels, I'd feel uncomfortable. If I was her, I would feel uncomfortable. I'd be like, oh, this is kind of uncomfortable. But it makes her think on God. Makes them think on God. Why would we do it? That's what Jesus did. You call yourself a Christian. Christian doesn't, Christian simply means you're trying to pattern your life after Christ. That's one way you can pattern it, giving thanks. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. The first thing we do in this remembrance and this memorial is we remember that Jesus Christ had his body broken for me and for you. That's this memorial. It, it, wasn't, real, it wasn't real easy for Jesus Christ to have to deal with what he had to deal with. Turn to Matthew 26. Keep your finger here, but turn to Matthew 26, please. Matthew 26, and let's look at a couple of things that Jesus Christ had to deal with for me and you. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the movie The Passion of Christ that was done by Mel Gibson. And the reason why I'm not a big fan of that movie is simply because it's very Catholic-leaning. There's a lot of Catholic symbology in there, this nonsense. But in some of that movie, there's some real reality there. And if you want to go watch that movie, and there's no, nothing wrong with the movie as far as, as cussing or nudity or anything like that, but there's, some, there's definitely some Catholic symbology because Mel Gibson was a Catholic when he made that movie. But... But whenever you will go watch that movie, it'll show you Jesus Christ being beat and whipped. And guys, if you can watch a man that's innocent getting beat and whipped like that, it brings it home. Sometimes uh, it helps you to visualize what you're seeing, what we're reading here on the paper. Look at verse 67. Matthew chapter 26, verse 67. We need to remember that his body was broken for our sin. Look at verse 67. Then did they spit in his face. Guys, I can't think of anything that will cause a fight any quicker than a man to spit in another man's face. How nasty is that? How much, can you show any more disrespect than to spit in another man's face? There's no way you could do that nowadays and there not be a fight breakout, amen? I don't care if you're a Christian or not. I don't care if you say, I'm a holy Christian. Somebody comes spit in your face, it's going to be real hard for you not to throw a punch, amen? But our Savior took it. He took it. He didn't have to take it could have had 12 legions of angels show up right there and wipe everybody out there's times when they come to get him he said i am he and they just fell back (laughs) just him speaking i am he they just the power of him speaking threw him back but he let these vile wicked nasty sinners come up and just spit in his face spitting in jesus christ's face the son of god God manifest in the flesh. The one that created the universe. The one that created them. They're spitting in his face. Why? You. Your sins. 
my sins? He had to take it. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him. They were punching him, punching him around. And others smote him with the palm of their hands. Not only were they punching him in the body, pushing him around, they took their hand and they just slapped him. And he took it. This is an innocent man. Saying, prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Tell me it is who, making fun of him, mocking him. When he could have literally said, die, and they would have fell over dead. You realize Jesus Christ, with the power he has in his words, could literally said, die, and they would have all died around him. You know, the Bible says when he comes back, he says he's going, to slay, he's going to slay them with the breath of his lips. When Jesus Christ comes back on that horse, instead of saying, be healed, instead of saying, come alive, instead of saying, rise, he's going to say, die, die. And they're going to just be mowed down by the breath of his lips. But he allowed them to, to hit him, to whip him, to smite him, to spit in his face for me and you. Guys, this is what we're remembering that's a man's man. It takes a real man not to fight. You know, a, a lesser man would, yeah, strike out. But a real man would sit there and take it, knowing that they don't know what they're doing. That's, that's your Savior. Look at Matthew 27. Pilate, he's got Jesus Christ. He's trying to give him Barabbas. Let's look at verse 26. Matthew chapter 27, verse 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. See that word, scourged? That's one little word, but guys, I'm here to tell you, that one little word is a lot of pain. They would take this leather strap and they'd put little bones, pieces of bones at the end of this leather strap. And they would, it would be a lot of them. There'd be like maybe nine of them. Cat of nine tails type of thing. And they'd bring it out there and they would lay that guy back and that prisoner would be strapped down like this and he would be strapped down and they'd take that whip and they would lay his back open. And they would lay his back open. If you watch uh, that movie, The Passion of Christ, you'll see it. And it's hard to watch. It's bloody. It's bloody and it's painful. They could have just crucified him. They could have just took him and crucified him. But they had to beat him. They had to spit in his face. They had to mock him. They had to slap him in the face. They had to take a scourge and start scourging him. He's innocent. And look at verse 29. Verse 29. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head. This is the body that's being broken for you. See, when we take that piece of bread, that little unleavened bread, it's basically like a cracker. It's for you to remind you that Jesus Christ's body was broken for you. He didn't have to do this, but he did it for you. And we have these, this uh, crown of thorns here. And these are real thorns. I mean, if you have a, a grandkid or somebody come up here, you know, let, warn them that you play with this, you're going to get poked. And I, uh, there's been a bunch of missionaries' kids come through here, and I'll say, I'll give you a dollar, you let me put that on your head. And they won't let me do it for some reason. But if you put this thing on your head, it'll go in your flesh. They crowned them with this, this, these thorns. They crowned him and they pushed it down on them. And in this, at this Lord's Supper, this is to remind you that his body was broken for you. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns and put it upon his head, and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. Jesus had done nothing wrong. They had nothing to accuse him of. He was healing blind people. He was showing love to everybody around him. They took an innocent man and they spit on him and mocked him. This is my Savior. This is the King of Kings and they're mocking him. And they took and crucified him. 
Y'all know what crucifixion is? Can you imagine somebody taking a railroad spike and driving it through your hands? Can you imagine them driving it through your feet and then leaving you there with it in there, hanging to die? Jesus Christ said, remember that. He said, remember that. When you do this, this body was broken for you. And they yelled, crucify him. An innocent man. They would rather have a murderer, Barabbas, than to have Jesus Christ. Can you comprehend that? Healing the blind, healing the sick, raising the dead. No, we don't want him. We want the murderer. That's the world you live in, guys. The world wants to take a murderer and they want to exalt him. They want to glorify him. And the people that are doing so much good for this world, that's the last one you're going to hear about in the news. They want to lift up the murderers. They want to lift up the killers. Give us a murderer. You can keep the healer. You can keep the teacher. You can keep the raiser of the dead. You can keep the one that said, I am the bread of life. You can keep the one that said, I am the resurrection. You can keep the one that's the son of God. You can keep him. We want the murderer. And they yelled, crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Y'all know y'all need this crucifixion. If you're in here this morning and you're a born-again believer, you know you need Jesus Christ to go to Calvary. Amen. You don't want to admit it, but you know with your sins, you're not going to make it to heaven without that precious blood and that body being broken for you. Amen. Isn't it sad to think that if we were there, if you could transport us back in time, and we were to stand there below Pilate and Jesus Christ, seeing him, there's your Savior up there, the crown of thorns, the blood running down his back, them mocking him, the spit running down his face, and his face was already starting to swell from being beat with a rod, and all the things they had done to him. And you could see your precious Savior up there, knowing, and they were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Do you know, if you were there, knowing what you know now, you would have to bow your head and say, crucify him. Crucify him. Because I have no hope without Jesus Christ being crucified. I have no hope unless that body's broken and that blood is shed. Isn't that sad? You're with the world. The world yells crucify him. And guys, we as Christians would have to say crucify him. Crucify him. And Jesus doesn't want you to forget that. Jesus doesn't want you to forget that you would have to yell crucify him. You're not going to get out of it. You're the cause of him being crucified. He died while you were yet sinners. He was crucified because we're wicked. And he's good. Do this in remembrance of me. Please turn back to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 25. After the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is a New Testament in my blood. This is a New Testament that's being created here at the Lord's Supper. When Jesus Christ was crucified, that body was broken. When Jesus Christ's blood was shed, that was a New Testament. There was a new way of doing things. The old way is done away with. There's no more going to the temple and sacrificing. No more going to the temple and putting in a sacrifice for your sins. The sacrifice has been done. There's a new way of doing things. You come to Jesus Christ for salvation. You come to Jesus Christ to be your mediator between you and God. It's Jesus Christ and the crucifixion. You come to the cross. It's a New Testament. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Guys, Jesus Christ wants you to remember that not only was his body broken on the cross of Calvary, he was spit, he was whipped, but he shed his blood and drained it out for me and you. That blood, guys, is what saves you. 
That blood is what washes you. That blood is what justifies you. That blood is what redeems you. That blood is what God says is how you overcome the devil. In Revelation 12, it's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's that blood that does all that. If Jesus Christ wouldn't have went to the cross of Calvary and died on the cross of Calvary and shed his blood, you'd have no salvation. And it's all about the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what's wrong with some of the new songs. They sing. They've lost the blood. That's why we sing the old songs because they sing about the blood. And let me tell you something. Read Revelation. When you get to heaven, you know what you're going to be singing about up, up in heaven? You're going to be singing about the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb. And Jesus says, I want you to remember that. I want you to remember that I shed my body for you and broke my body for you and I shed my precious blood for you. This is God's blood. He said he purchased the church with his own blood. God. This is God's blood being shed. Innocent blood. You've got that wicked Adam's blood running through you, but Jesus Christ shed his innocent blood for you. So when you come to this cup, as we put that grape juice in there, that is is to remind you that Jesus Christ's blood is doing all that for you. Say, so why don't we use grape juice? Because it's new wine. If you're writing some of this stuff down, I'll, I'm going I'm to give you these verses on why we use new wine and not fermented wine. Write this down. I don't have time to preach it. Matthew 26, 29, Isaiah 65, 8, Genesis 40, 11, and 12, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 14, 31 through 33. That'll show you some verses on new wine. New wine is basically grape juice, what we call grape juice today. It was not fermented. It was not bitter. It was not gall. It was grape juice. What we call grape juice is what they call in the Bible new wine. And that's what Jesus Christ was drinking here at the Lord's Supper. He was drinking new wine. That was the most desired. That was the most precious was the new wine. It wasn't the old wine that had fermented. You don't believe me, and I know I've had some people, actually Baptists, argue with me about this. I've got books at home, and I can bring you the books. You're more than welcome to borrow them as long as you need to and read about it. And they'll tell you all these documented historical evidence that that wine, when it started fermenting, that's for the poor people. You know, when it gets old, that's poor people. When, it's, when it stuff gets old and it starts decaying, you throw it out. It's fermented. It's bad. It don't taste good. The best stuff is when it's fresh off the vine. That's what these verses will show you. Isaiah 65, 8, they'll show you that. Genesis 40 will show you that they were squeezing the grape juice into Pharaoh's cup for wine. That's Genesis 40. And Deuteronomy 32 says you, tells you their vine is not our vine. They got a different wine. It's gall and bitter. Back in verse 25. At the end of verse 25, it says, This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So as often as you drink it. So it's not, there's no set time. So the, Jesus Christ doesn't give them a set time. He don't say do this every Sunday. Or, he says as often as you drink it. Verse 26, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death. That's what we're doing. See how we're, we're, gonna, we're about to show the Lord's death. We're going to show the, the bread is going to be his body being beaten, whipped, put on a cross, and being, the nails being put in. And then the, the cup, the grape juice, is going to be his blood. We're showing his death. But notice there's something very important about the end of that verse 26. Ye do show the Lord's death till he come. You're not only showing the Lord's death when you're doing the Lord's Supper, you're supposed to be remembering he's coming back. Amen. He's coming back. He's on his way back. And we're just doing this, waiting for him to come back and get us. So we're not only remembering what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary, we should never forget that. 
But there's going to come a day that he's going to come back. And we'll get to drink it with him in the kingdom. Man, I can't wait for that day. We'll get to see. And see, Jesus Christ ain't going to come back like a lamb being sacrificed, like the lamb of God of, that sacrificed for the sins of the world. He's not going to be coming back like a lamb. He's going to be coming back like a lion. Amen. And you don't mess with the lion. Roaring as he comes back. King of kings and Lord of lords. We're supposed to be remembering that. Now, in closing, as we come to this Lord's Supper, and as we're eating and drinking the Lord's Supper, there's things that Paul wants to warn you about, and we'll go through these. Verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So you can come and you could be drinking this unworthily. You could be doing this and not be right with the Lord. Well, how do you, how do you uh, become worthy? Well, here's how you do it. Verse 28. But let, but let a man examine himself. So you need to do a self-examination this morning. Let a man examine himself, self-examination of where you're at with the Lord. How's your walk with the Lord? Does the Lord like you? We know the Lord loves you, amen, but does He like you? Are you doing what the Lord wanted you to do? The Lord said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do those things I commanded you to do? Are you one of those? Self-examination. Let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily... Eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. You're not discerning what's going on, what happened with the Lord's body across the couch. Eating damnation to yourself, that's not damnation of going to hell, that's damnation of verse 30. Look at what the damnation is. That's the damnation of your body. Look at verse 30. For this cause, many are weak, they've lost the power of the Holy Spirit. You feel like your prayers don't go much further than the roof? You feel like you just, you got the Holy Spirit, but you feel like you've grieved Him, you've done, that's what's going on. For this cause many are weak, sickly. Some of us are having health problems among you, and many sleep, laying in the grave dead. Because they come to this, this remembrance, they come to this, and they don't take the time to say, I need to remember what Jesus Christ did for me. I need to self-examine. And look at verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, see there's a self-judging. You need to judge yourself. Where am I at? What's going on? I'm examining myself. I'm not right where I should be. See, it's not enough to examine yourself and say, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. I'm here to tell you, when you sit here this morning and we do the Lord's Supper and you self-examine yourself and self-judge yourself, you're not going to be where you're supposed to be. None of us are. And that includes me. But when we are judged, verse 32, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. See, what it is, the Lord starts spanking you a little bit. That's all right. Hey, it's better that you it's better if you self-judge yourself than to let the Lord get after you and have to spank you. It's a lot better that way. Years ago, uh, late 1800s, they had a house fire. And in this house fire, the family was dying up there and a man was on the ground and it was uh, two or three stories up and there was a boy in that window. And everybody could see that boy. And there was a pipe that ran along the wall of the uh, outside of the wall to get up to the, the third story of that building, second or third story. So a man grabbed hold of that pipe, and that pipe was part of that building, and it was burning hot. And that man climbed that pipe to get up to that young boy that was up there, and that young boy was screaming for help. And that, that man climbed that pipe, and the whole time that pipe was scalding hot from the fire. He got up there, and he put that boy out of that window and put him on his back, and he climbed all the way down. And it burned his hands horribly. Well, his, that little boy's parents had died in that fire. So the town had a committee, and they got a, had a town hall meeting. And they got all the town together, and they decided who's going to raise this boy. 
And there's people of, the, people of the community came up and they said, you know, I'm wealthy, I've owned this business, and I can give this boy everything he could ever have. And some people come up and say, you know, I own this big house, this big property, come live with me, i got plenty of room to stay with him. And everybody was waiting around, and they're waiting to see what the guy who had saved the boy was going to say. So he could get that boy. What was he going to say? What was he going to do? And that man just walked up in front of everybody really quiet. He didn't say a word. He walked up, and everybody was watching. Everybody had their eyes on him, and he raised his hands and showed the scars. Nobody argued. He had sacrificed for that boy. Jesus, how much do you love me? He raises his hands. He's showing you the scars. I broke my body for you. Will you come to me? I love you. We're supposed to remember that. Well, we're not, we're not some innocent little boy crying out from a window. We're wicked, wicked, wicked sinners. And he's willing to die for us. Boy, that's a love I just don't understand. But I appreciate it. Boy, do I appreciate it. Because I'm a sinner, and I know it's Jesus Christ and nothing else. That's what this table's all about. Hello, this is Pastor Keegan Hall at Indian Gap Baptist Church. I got a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven? You realize the Bible says you can know that you have eternal life? And Jesus Christ encouraged us in John chapter 3, verse 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Are you saved? Jesus says, He that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Have you believed in the name of Jesus Christ? Romans chapter 10, verse 13 tells us, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you think of a time you've called on Jesus Christ to save you? Well, if you haven't, friend, I encourage you to get down on your knees and pray as admit you're a sinner and ask Jesus Christ to save you the best way you know how. And I'm here to tell you that He will save you. Now, if you prayed that prayer or if you'd like to get a hold of us, contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com, IndianGapBaptist.com. Until next time, God bless.